Welcome to First Responders Bridge, the podcast. Today we are joined by Dave Gerald, the member support lieutenant with Columbus Fire, and he is also a peer support coordinator. He will share how peer support is changing the game for first responder mental health. You're listening to First Responders Bridge, the podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Before we get started, I did just want to say, make sure to follow us and leave us a five-star rating because this is how we are able to keep providing you with this and keep uh, pushing this out here, you know, to break this stigma for uh, first responder mental health. So please, if you could do that, that would greatly help us. Dave Gerald, welcome to the show today. We are so happy to have you on to talk about peer support today. Thanks so much. It's a great honor to be here in this room and uh, talk about peer support with the good folks from the bridge. Well, we certainly love having you as a part of our team. And uh, before we get started, tell us a little about a little bit about yourself, your family, and uh, the role you play with with CFD and what you do there. Sure, that's a pretty big question, but the basics. Uh, I'm married to my wife Tracy. We're um, just past 24 years. I have two kids, Nick and Abby. They're uh, approaching adult age, life. Uh, they're out and about, and they're almost off our payroll. <laughs> I'm looking at retirement soon, and so is my wife. So we're looking at phase two of our lives. And uh, within CFD, I've had a great career, approaching 25 years there. I'm currently the member support lieutenant, which also puts me in peer support coordinator role. I've had a lot of opportunity within Columbus Fire. I've met great people, been able to work with my good folks over in CPD. And the more often we do that, the better we are. So I'm getting more exposure to that here late in my career. Yeah, Dave, uh, we, in Columbus, uh, for those of our, our listeners that are not in Ohio or in the Columbus area, CFD is Columbus Fire Department, CPD, Columbus Police Department. Uh, we're a little different than some agencies around the country because we have a great relationship, great working relationship, um, professional relationship. And over a decade ago, uh, we worked together. We actually worked with you. You were one of the reasons that Columbus Police was able to start a peer team because we sold that to uh, then our then chief and said, hey, Columbus Fire has had a peer team for decades, and we don't have a peer team. Can you give some of our listeners uh, perspective on the size of Columbus Fire and um, how you incorporate peer response and peer support in the fire department? Sure. Columbus Fire Department is about 1,600 members, 34, 35 stations, depending on how you count it. We cover a large metro area, so Columbus is large geographically, and we support a large area. Currently on our peer team, we're a little low right now, but I believe we have 30 to 40 trained peers. We just had a peer class last week, so we're looking to boost those numbers and get that back up to full strength. At one time, we were carrying about 60 or 70 trained peers. Um, currently, we're working on a hybrid model, so we do critical incident stress management, CISM. We'll do that when it's appropriate, but we're trending more towards a hybrid system and doing more one-to-ones. little less of the formal debriefings, some diffusings, but we're really going to a true one-to-one peer support model. That's the direction we're going. I appreciate that. Can you can you also talk a little bit about, you mentioned the training. And so at least in our state, um, there's some codified uh, training that has to happen for peer support teams and peers. Can you talk a little bit about your selection process and the, 
the training that those peers go through? Sure. So Ohio Revised Code recently changed with the passage of House Bill 545, and it has really opened up some new opportunities for training. So previously, we were tied to one organization and one method for peer support training. And now, internally, we've, we've developed our own training. We just delivered that first class. It was really, the feedback on it was really great. We'll see how it plays out here in the next couple of months, but I'd like to further develop that and hopefully partner with our um, police peers and see if they would like to adopt that as well. So currently, the law is pretty vague. It just, um, in Ohio, it requires 16 hours of training in about three basic areas of peer support. And uh, it's open to a wide uh, selection of teams. So you could be a public safety agency, you could be a charity, a nonprofit, um, a few other things. I'm not familiar with all the details, but it's pretty wide open. So we want to uh, meet the needs of our members, but also um, give them conf confidentiality protection through Ohio Revised Code, because that's our foundation, it's that confidential protection. Yeah, really important. And many states have similar statutes that offer trained and registered uh, critical incident stress management teams complete confidentiality, uh, similar to what you would see for um, a formal clinician. And, um, you know, that, that confidentiality is important, certainly is in uh, law enforcement, and I know it is in fire. Um, you also generally mention the different levels of, of peer support diffusings, debriefings. Can you talk a little bit about those different levels? Sure. According to the uh, Mitchell model or critical incident stress model, there's really three levels. There's the one-to-one -one, and then going up, if there's a group that's affected, an early intervention would be a diffusing. And that's kind of like the check-in with the crews that were in the hot zone, exposed to the reactions, emotions, the trauma of the incident. That type of event usually happens within the first eight to 24 hours, typically on the same shift. And that is really helpful in preventing those roots from growing and letting some of that trauma and post-traumatic stress stick around. Going beyond that, sometimes the stuff can really get uh, soaked in, which through no fault of the first responders, there are some events that have some really uh, profound impact on us. If that's the case, there's a, a method called a debriefing and that's a seven-step process that peers partner with mental health professionals. And we take a deep dive, and that's usually delivered, say, 24 to 72 hours after the event. Uh, we do a couple of those a year. I think Columbus Fire is doing three or four a year. So just to give you an example of how often that occurs, not often. Wow. And so, Dave, what would you say are some key components to an effective peer support program, because clearly that's something that Columbus has, and it seems like they're very, you know, they're excelling in that. So what would you say are some components that you've noticed and that's led to your success over there? Sure. So key components to a peer support, a peer support program would be a great selection process. And I think, Greg, you asked me about that earlier. I don't think I addressed it, but a great selection process, consistent, regular training on current topics, partnership with local mental health professionals and um, a really good infrastructure within the agency. So the stakeholders in the division would really want to buy in and accept what that team is offering. I think those are keys. So what are, I know you mentioned briefly, so what are, what are some of the things that differ from, you know, traditional counseling compared to peer support? 
um, versus other mental health services? Is it mostly first responders who work in peer support or do you have to be a first responder to work in peer support? So my vision on that's pretty limited. I've always worked for Columbus Fire, so that's where my knowledge base is. So for us, we are all sworn responders who are in peer support. Peer support is not fixing, rescuing, diagnosing. That's, we leave that for uh, mental health professionals. What peer support, a good peer support person would provide is uh, some normalizing behavior, some acknowledgement of the trauma, and then helping those folks bridge to resources. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's different. I say it's way different than mental health. It's, it's not counseling. It's, it's walking with someone in their journey along the way. And sometimes it'll be peer support. Sometimes it'll be mental health. Sometimes it'll be 12-step recovery. But peer support can be at all parts of that. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I usually uh, refer to peer support as the bridge between the professional clinician and peers. Mm. Um, we hear it at our bridge retreats a lot about stigma and a lot about um, first responders coming forward and sharing where they're at and that they, they may need help. Can you talk a little bit about um, the activities of CISM teams or peer teams and how they can reduce that stigma or make it uh, more normalized for people to come forward and ask for help? For sure. I think so. The topic of stigma is one I knew we were going to talk about today, and I think it's a very complex answer. So I want to take a deep dive on that. Where does the stigma exist? And I think we have to make a distinction of which perspective it's coming from. For any first responder who's listening, who might be thinking, what will people think of me if I get help or reach out for help? I'm telling you, that's the biggest sign of strength you could uh, show to anyone is the ask for help. And so stigma, when it comes from internal sources, I think is basically just fear. And once we can get past fear, we can really grow. So that's one angle on stigma. Folks, if you're out there and you're suffering and you need help and you're tired of being tired, Talk to the folks at the bridge. Talk to your local peers. Reach out. It's an act of strength. Please do it. You don't have to suffer anymore. I've heard it on the other shows. You are not alone. That is a fact. When it comes to stigma from other places, I know my friends in the community have been a victim of poor policy, bad management, poor leadership. And I'm sorry that's happened to anyone here that's listening um, there's a lot of moral injury out there and administrative stress. But I guess I have to reflect on what are things that I can control. And I can't control any of those things. The only thing I have control of is me. And so I'm going to reach out and ask for the help that I need because no one's coming to save me. We're here for each other. You're not alone. But you got to make the ask. If you firefighters, if you fall in a hole, n no one's coming unless you key the mic and call the mayday uh law enforcement call the 10-3 call the 1057 folks will come to you i promise that's great and uh i i think this is really interesting because you know as you said there is that stigma where i, I won't get help i'm not going to go talk to a you know a, a counselor right away because there's nothing wrong with me there's nothing wrong with me and I, I think there's something really neat about meeting with somebody who's already on your team, somebody who you already know and are familiar with, 
who could make it so much easier to just say, it's just a conversation, right? I'm not here to, I'm not here to give you clinical help. I dude, I'm just here to help with you. I'm just here to talk with you. And like you said, Greg, that really does help to bridge that gap and say, look, I'm here. I'm just here to talk with you. We're going to get through this together. And then we're going to help you, you know, to be the best, the best first responder that you can be. So I think, I think that's a really big factor that peer support is playing in breaking that stigma. Right. And we always talk about, you're not alone. Uh, you just, just, you just said that, um, if you're out there and you're listening to this, jump on Facebook, take a look at first responders bridge and attend one of our, uh, weekend retreats with your significant other. And, uh, you'll meet a lot of other people that are in the same place you are. That's right. Uh, peer support, just taking a deeper dive on what that bridge is. It's a, it's a safe, easy first step for someone who wants to investigate their mental health. We know the language, peers know the language. We know what's available. The trained peers usually know what a good next step for might for someone who is looking for help. And it's, um, th- there's fewer barriers, fewer walls when talking to someone from your own tribe. Hmm. That's good stuff. Um, how Dave, how can organizations and agencies better support you know, peer support programs to help get those started, help, help those develop for first responders. Thanks for asking me that, Noah. Um, I'm going to speak to my administrators out there, my stakeholders, the leaders in public safety agencies. I want you to, to ask yourself this question. If you were to form a policy about mental health, behavioral health, and folks maybe taking some time off to get a break, one of the first things that I hear is people will say, well, if we build a system like that, people will abuse it. I want my fire chiefs, my police chiefs, my administrators to hear this. We don't come to work pretending to be broken. We come to work pretending to be well, and we're covering something up, and we come to work anyway. There's folks out there suffering, but our policies and our procedures won't let them come forward. So it's worth the risk to create these programs, these policies, these things where people can ask for help safely, because like I said, we don't pretend to be broken. We pretend to be okay. And it's time to stop pretending to pretend. That's awesome. That's, that is sadly far too true, right? Especially (laughs) for first responders. They don't like to come to work and say, Hey, you know, I'm really struggling. I'm, I'm having a bad day. No, no. First, uh, First responders are very strong people. You can't do this job unless you're strong. That's true. Um, we are tactically sound. We are um, also do-it-yourselfers. <laughs> <laughs> so when we uh, need something, we want to try it out on our own first before we maybe go to the community with it. So um, that's why peer support's good because it's like sitting around the kitchen table or maybe having a roll call talk at the precinct. It's Hey, if I need my deck built, I'm going to go to someone who knows, knows how to build decks. Well, maybe at the station, I could say, Greg, you've been through something. Can you tell me about that? It's the same analogy. So if we use that family that's already there uh, we, and lean into each other a little bit with some of those uncomfortable conversations, then folks can really find a path to healing. And, you know, that's a lot of times, too, why here at the bridge we say, we don't want you working with our people unless you have experience working with first responders, right? Like if you want to be on our board, we want you to do ride alongs and we want you to have experience with first responders because of the stressors and the things that they go through are so unique. A lot of times, you know, if a first responder wants to go talk to a counselor, the counselor has no idea how to treat what they're going through because they don't, they're not trained to treat stuff like that because it's so unique. 
that's why we say, you know, get involved with first responders and understand the stressors because they're so, they're so unique. Yeah. Dave, I think it's important to talk about, we're really fortunate here in central Ohio that, um, you and a lot of other, uh, first responders on a full-time basis are, um, researching and pushing forward, um, critical incident stress management, peer, peer teams, uh, and wellness in general. Um, can you give us a gauge and our listeners a gauge on uh, where peer support has come from, where we're at today, and where it may be going to, asking you to be kind of a um, prognosticator a bit. Um, but if you can, uh, what are you seeing on the forefront for peer support? Yeah, that's a big question. Thanks for asking. Where we came from is just being focused on the critical incident, but what we know <clears throat> from working with first responders is the critical incident may be only the trigger for something that's already going on for us. Mm. And so I think peer support, the future is looking for the thing under the thing. What's going on for the person? Because in our community, we have folks who came from a, a variety of backgrounds. They came from different types of households where maybe... Um, it wasn't always perfect. We have folks in the veteran community who have been to war. And so just because someone is new to being a first responder doesn't mean they don't have any trauma. So it's great that when folks can be open, even though someone's been with their agency only one or two years, but needs that um, support person, let's not judge them for saying, well, you're new and what could be wrong with you? Because I'm telling you, there's something there. And if we just can be open and love people, then that's makes us a stronger community, a better first responder community. That's, that's good stuff. And I feel like that's something that may be very prevalent, you know, in, in first responders as well. You've only been on for this long. There's no way you can have trauma, right? It's easy to, to see that just on the face. But Dave, as we, as we begin to wind down here, do you have any advice for someone who may be hesitant to join a peer support group? You know, I, I know, counseling is a whole other animal that first responders may be saying, I'm not quite there yet. Um, but there may be even some who say, I'm not quite ready for a peer support group yet. What do you have to say to people who may be hesitant about that? Yeah, I'd say, uh, just come and check it out. Um, it doesn't cost you anything. Um, it's people who are already there, ready and willing to help you. So it's, I can't imagine that someone who's reluctant to seek, seek help makes that first contact and has a negative experience. So if you're afraid of what may come, well, um, just check it out. Um, first responders are good at being uncomfortable. So I would say challenge yourself and be comfortable in the uncomfortable of talking to someone who cares. That's the only way that there's going to find healing, right? You have to take a leap of faith and you have to be willing to, to have those uncomfortable conversations, but it's so worth it in the long run. Oh, that's, that's a hundred percent true. Um, there's a lot of, there's some thinking out there that peer support should go out and do the things automatically for people. And I, we, we have found in Columbus fire, that's not always helpful. What we have found is by having really great outreach programs and putting the message out there that said, we are here and we are standing by when people are ready to hit submit, to key the mic, to say, I'm ready to receive help. And when they come to us, we find that we have uh, those folks find a quicker path to healing or a more complete path to healing. So when they reach out to us, it always works better. So, man, if if you're out there and you're listening, you're reluctant, go go to your people because that's why they're there. They want to help you. Check check out with your local peer support teams. Dave, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about that. This is a 
some great information to have. And I think it's going to be a great resource for first responders who may be ready to at least, you know, say, I want to get help, but I don't know how. Um, this is a great resource for them. So thank you so much. And before we finish out here, I do want to do our praise of the day for this week. And this one is really cool. It was a, uh, this one's kind of unlikely, unlikely story. It's out of Chesapeake, Virginia. There was an inmate at a, uh, a facility who noticed a deputy, Robert Wrench, was choking on his sandwich. And this inmate went over and gave him the Heimlich for about a minute and ended up saving this deputy's life. So that was uh, that was really cool that he got to do that. And they actually have a really good relationship now. So good job on that inmate for saving the, saving the deputy's life um, while he was choking. But that is, that is all that we have for this episode here. And um, guys, as always, make sure to follow us. Make sure to give us that five-star rating again, because that's how we can continue to push this out outside of Columbus and into the rest of the United States and beyond so that we can help first responders on their journey from hurting to healing. But I'm Noah and Greg here, and uh, we will see you all on the next episode. Thank you very much.